Protecting students and teachers when they step into school is priority number one. On School Safety Today, a podcast from Raptor Technologies, we'll bring you the technologies and leadership that protects over 35,000 schools across the United States. Hello and welcome to School Safety Today, powered by Raptor Technologies. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney. And today we are talking about Survey Says, Top Priorities for a Safe School for the 2022-2023 year. And I am thrilled to bring on today's guest who has a lot of information on the subject. Michelle Gay is the co-founder and executive director of Safe and Sound Schools. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Michelle. So let's get started with a little bit of a background on Michelle Gay and what you've done and why you're so perfect to talk about this topic at hand today. Oh, thank you. Um, so, gosh, where to start? Um, our our organization is now almost 10 years um, in the making in this in this work of, of school safety. Uh, and a lot of people have been at it for much, much longer than us. Uh, I come by this work kind of circuitously. I, I used to be a classroom teacher. Uh, then I was a stay-at-home mom. And then our lives uh, as a family kind of got turned upside down and inside out. Um, we lived in Sandy Hook in the community of Sandy Hook in, in Newtown, Connecticut, when the school shooting happened on December 14th, 2012, really rocking our family and our community and, uh, and, and taking from us 26 precious lives. One of those was our youngest daughter, Josephine, a first grader that day. Um, so as, as you might imagine, it's been quite a journey um, since that, that worst possible day. Um, but we have you know, found a lot of inspiration in our little girl. And one of the things that inspires us most about her to this day is her love of school. And having been a former educator, I, I share that with her. So this legacy that we have built for her is really about supporting school communities across the country and now even around the world with the best resources, tools, and guidance um, that they can that we can possibly source so they can ensure that everybody is safe and sound and, and school can continue, which I'm I'm positive is something that um, my little girl shines upon. Absolutely. And I am so sorry for your loss because I know that's a pain that never goes away. Obviously school, such a huge part of your life before that tragedy, it was ingrained you and I always say there's there's no harder job. I mean, of course, motherhood and parenting and fatherhood and all that. But to me, being a teacher, there's there's nothing like it, the responsibility that all of you have to shape the minds of future leaders and the people that will continue to run the world. So with that said, and with your background and really just wanting the best in the name of your little girl and, and the names of all of those that we lost, and just to make sure that we can have safe places where our children can learn. Let's dive into some interesting information that we have learned this year with regard to something that just happened. We're talking about the 2022 State of School Safety Report based on a survey of students, educators, parents, and then public safety professionals. So share a little background, if you can, on the survey, Michelle, and the objective of publishing this report. Sure. We began conducting this survey uh, really kind of informally about five years ago, um, just kind of a an outgrowth of uh, some of the things our national community was asking for, you know, just kind of wanting to compare I, I have a sense of you know what I'm going through and what my challenges are here in this community, what my strengths are, 
but I wonder how they compare to others. You know, I wonder if if I'm seeing the same thing that that others in the field are seeing. Um, there was this need to to bring together a national conversation. So that's what this does. Um, every year we we host this national conversation via the the national survey and the the report that comes following that survey, sharing the results. So you know we get um, thousands of folks from a variety of different school stakeholder roles, as we like to call them, parents, students, educators, school mental health, um, school law enforcement, public safety, administrators, uh, and and support staff, you know, bus drivers, cafeteria staff and managers, um, office staff, everybody and anybody uh, who has anything to do with school because that, in our estimation, is, is how we can really get a good handle on the issues and the challenges that our schools are facing. So, so yeah, this is our, our fifth year. Um, every year it gets a little bit more robust of, of few hundred more people <laughs> participate every year. And um, and we always walk away with some really interesting findings that uh, are interesting to unpack nationally, you know, with our, our national level leadership. But also um, one of the, the most exciting things I think I see every year after, after the release of this report is how it uh, recharges the local level conversations. You know, that's where real change happens. That's where we see, um, you know, the needle really being moved in school safety is when people become activated at the local level. You know, they see these results and they say, wow, um, this is something I want to take back and I want to talk about this with my students and my parents and my educators and, and our school, our school resource officers and so on and so forth. And that is um, a really energizing kind of element of the survey that helps galvanize communities around that shared mission, which is to ensure that everybody's safe and sound. Yeah, and it really, it starts locally. And a lot of people forget that one person can make a difference. Locally, you can make a difference. It can have broad standing changes across the country. So let's talk about a key takeaway. Is there a primary key takeaway that you would say that was found from this year's survey? So, you know, there are lots, um, but one of the most exciting ones to me, especially this year, and this is continuing on trend, but I think ever more so this year, our survey participants definitely loud and proud kind of um, came out asking for people first. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, all of the different programs and all of the different uh, technologies and solutions and all of that, they they come up every year as valued by all of our stakeholders across the board. But uh, there was this common thread, no matter which question we were asking, you know, whether it was about behavioral threat assessment or whether it was about security, uh, personnel programs, uh, that people are the most valuable resource. That's what our school stakeholders want to prioritize. Um, yes, our people need tools, our school resource officers, our administrators, our front office staff, um, you know, the physical plant, all those tools and technology that support the work of ensuring school safety always come across as, as, as valued. But this year, absolutely rising to the top is the priority of people, making sure that there are actual people to support the needs, the concerns, to take the reports, um, to provide interventions, to conduct some of these programs. So whether it's uh, nurses, whether it's school resource officers, um, whether it's increases in school mental health personnel, that really came through as, as top priority for all of our stakeholders this year. 
Let's talk about some other areas explored in the survey and what you can learn from that data. So lots of lots and lots of, of questions um, and sub questions with them, you know, generally about 25 questions each year. Um, some of the biggies, uh, you know, really behavioral threat assessment and management, which just sounds like a kind of scientific gobbledygook to to many folks. But really what it is, is talking about um, identifying and assessing uh, a potential behavioral risk or threat in the community and then providing interventions. And when you boil that down, that means if somebody is crying out for help, we have the ability as a school community to recognize that, to identify that need, to assess what, what is needed, and then to intervene, provide those types of supports. And what that does is keep that individual safe, either from self-harm, or from carrying out an act of violence. And of course, that in turn keeps the community safe and other individuals safe. That's something um, that we just added last year as part of our, our, our set of questions. What was interesting this year in that topic is that so many people, um, students and parents as well, who you might you might think they don't really have a lot of knowledge about that process, um, but that came through as, as a priority uh, among uh, stakeholders like students and parents and community members, as well as the folks that you would expect—the educators, the you know the school-based law enforcement people that are on that kind of day-to-day -day safety team. So, um, so that's another key takeaway that I think is important, especially as people begin to become aware of these processes in our schools, kind of behind the scenes, what it takes to make sure that everybody is safe. Uh, sometimes there can be misconceptions, there can be myths and misunderstandings and narratives can form in the media. Um, and we have seen that happen in this topic area of behavioral threat assessment and management. So it's really um, surprising and uh, quite a positive revelation that so many of our surveyed participants from across the country and across all these stakeholder groups would find that that is an important process to them. So Michelle, with that, were you encouraged or discouraged by anything in particular? So if so, how can we build on the positives and then address some of those negatives? Yeah. So one of the things that, um, that is cause for pause, you know, in this year's report um, that steadily over the past five years, the, the concern, one of the top concerns across all stakeholders is always active shooter or act, active attack in a school community. And I think that probably doesn't come as a surprise to anybody who's listening to our conversation here today. Um, I think, you know, when you talk about your top concern, it's almost like, you know, what is your, your worst nightmare? What is the worst case scenario? And for for all our survey participants this year across stakeholder groups, the top concern was still active shooter or active attack. And that is, I mean, that's important for us to know as folks in the field doing the work um, that that's still a top concern. We need to, to dig into uh, why that is. There are some very obvious reasons why that is. And, and keep in mind that this survey was conducted before the tragedy in Uvalde. So we have we always have to, have to think about the the timing of um, of you know the survey as as part of this conversation and acknowledge that 
But the fact that um, it is still such a worry in, in so many school communities means that we need to be doing more listening and, and we need to be doing more to empower community members. And that means empowering them, you know, across all layers or levels, if you will, of school safety in, very, in a very practical sense. Um, but also just let, letting them know that all of the work that happens kind of behind the scenes, a lot of our school community members are not aware that there are so many processes in place, that there are so many people that are devoted, you know, 24 seven to doing the work to, um, you know, to intervening, to preventing all, all of those, those things, um, they don't get talked about as much. So I think that in terms of something to build upon, um, you know, although it's not, um, it's not a happy finding that so many people are, are so concerned um, about, acts of violence in the community um, and in the school, because that's that really runs counter and that's very harmful, um, not just potentially physically, but psychologically. You know, our purpose in the school community is to gather people together, students, so that they can grow and learn and um, and become, you know, the young citizens that, that we need in our society. But if people are scared, if they are nervous, if they are worried, um, we know that uh, even even our best efforts to to teach and help um, are are going to be um, you know stifled somewhat by by these emotions. So, lots to build on there. Um, from from the educators' perspective, it's about education and awareness, um, and and I think there's a ton of room for that. You know, letting people know about the systems. Um, you know, pulling the curtain back a little bit and letting people know that um, there's a lot going on and that they have a part to play, you know, that they they can speak up for safety. They can uh, join the conversation. They can take a leadership role. At Safe and Sound, we have multiple programs. We have a, a parent program and a student program really designed to help school communities engage all stakeholders. And, and you know, when you educate folks, you empower them, and hopefully some of that, that worry uh, begins to, uh, to be countered by those efforts. Yeah, and you mentioned the report being in July before uh, the Uvalde tragedy, which I think brings to light even more the need for these conversations and how we always need to keep this at the forefront to make sure that our schools stay safe. So with that being a short time, though, that the report has been out, what type of feedback have you seen so far from it? Um, it's it's actually been really exciting this year to see how communities have gravitated. Now, the, just to for clarification, the survey itself uh, took place in early spring, and then we crunch numbers and you know we do all all of the work of of the analysis and developing the report, and we we usually uh, drop it um, right after school closes, and and we do that kind of thoughtfully because. We want everybody to have the opportunity to finish out the school year, um, catch their breath a little bit. And then right at that moment when our school teams are coming back together and they're beginning to prepare to start up another new school year um, and, and do all that safety planning work, you know, that that timeline is is kind of perfect. So this year in particular was just uh, it was a good moment. You know, a, a lot of our our schools and districts were already um reflecting rather intensely on on what they have in place. And, and that is something that I think we all do uh, in the wake of, of any school-based crisis, disaster, or, or tragedy. Um, our, our best teams out there uh, come together, you know, what, even, even if they're a thousand miles away, it, it makes uh, our teams come back together and, and look at what they can possibly learn from, you know, what happened in this community tragically so far away and ensure that, um, that 
that they're doing everything that they possibly can. So it has been encouraging this year. Um, I think the timing was such that it gave our um you know, our folks across the country, um, something to, uh, to, to gather around the table with and, and really think kind of systematically about these key areas of the work and, um, and really uh, get started on that, that work in a very proactive and positive way. So Michelle, very exciting. We're seeing all of the findings coming in, but I noticed there was one question that was added. Uh, it's, it's a new question kind of on the, the survey that specifically talks about preparing for students with special needs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. It's a really important question. And and the thing is, it's not a new question. It's a question we've been getting since we began this work almost 10 years ago. What do I do about my students who might have access and functional needs or special needs, as most of them, most of us call them in, in, you know, the school world. Um, And and beyond that, what do we do if a teacher does or a visitor does, you know, perhaps they're in a wheelchair, perhaps they have a short term disability, you know, they they're in a boot or, or something like that, right? We have, we have folks like that all day, every day in our schools and communities, are we really adequately planning for those needs? And the question often arises after there's been, you know, a drill or a a false alarm. um, There is this kind of light bulb moment in our schools and communities where people realize, oh gosh, I I didn't think about what I would do to get Johnny out of the door in his, you know, his electric wheelchair. Um, I didn't think about this or that or the other. So, we added that question uh, this year, and um, and it's not a coincidence. Um, uh, my daughter Josephine, who we lost in the tragedy, was a child with a lot of access and functional needs. She was a, a special needs student, as um, as she was kind of shorthand shorthand for you know for all of all of those big words, access and functional needs. But uh, we really designed a program to help schools and communities plan. It's called especially safe. Uh, so it was really a positive development um, to see in the survey this year uh, that so many people were interested in getting more information about planning and preparing and, and you know, that there is a lot of opportunity to improve there. Um, there were a lot of people who just weren't sure if their school was prepared. And that doesn't mean that their school is not prepared. It may be that they just don't know. You know, they don't have that level of awareness Uh, So there's a lot to unpack with that question about how confident you are that your school community is prepared to meet to meet, you know, special needs that might exist. And those needs might not just be physical. They might be mental health related uh, from a previous trauma impact. They could be for an individual who doesn't speak English in the middle of the crisis. You know, we're going to need to be able to communicate with everyone. So really thinking our plans through to that granular or, or individual level is the direction that we are advocating. And um, definitely this year that comes out as as an area of need in, in this year's survey. You talked about learning. It really is the key of empowerment in, in making changes. We have to know what we're talking about. So with that said, what additional recommendations would you like to share based on the findings in this report? Yeah, so the first one, remember, was people first, right? And that makes me really happy because... Um, all the things we create, any gadgets, any innovations, those are they're all wonderful. But at the end of the day, safety comes down to people, how well we take care of each other. Um, so it's, it's a very positive thing that we see our schools and communities, all of our stakeholders prioritizing that 
the human role, right? Um, all those tools and, and programs are, are wonderful, um, but they are there to support the processes that people, you know, have to take part in. So um, that's a key. That's a key one. We're, we're, we're realizing, I think, nationally, no matter who we are, that it comes down to people. We need more people um, and we need a lot of variety on the team. You know, it can't just be law enforcement that is looking at safety. It can't just be principals that are, are thinking about the safety of and campus. Um, it really takes that multidisciplinary, that kind of diverse um, team uh, to bring all of those different perspectives and, and levels of expertise to the table. So that is very encouraging. We've been kind of, you know, beating that drum steadily for now almost 10 years. And, and to see that that has just become um, a value, a shared value across the country uh, in school safety is, is rather encouraging. Another thing that came up is um, a need to examine and address underlying causes of violence and abuse. I think, you know, we have made a lot of strides in school safety, particularly in the last 10 years. Uh, learned a lot of, of uh, lessons, unfortunately, very tragically and painfully. But I think as a, as a whole, people are realizing that there's not a quick fix. There's not something that you can apply to the surface of the problem and um, and have any lasting impact on it, right? It really is important that we as school communities take several steps back and look at the root causes of violence, abuse, bullying, um, some of those behavioral issues that continue to plague our schools and communities and unfortunately can fester and you know continue to uh, spin sort of out of control into one of those worst case or most feared types of concerns, which, as I mentioned earlier, among all stakeholders is active shooter or active attack. Uh, another thing that came out as, um, as a, a really important piece from, from the body of work this year is that culture and climate are key to the work that we do. Um, this is an, I, I would define it kind of as a turning point in our national conversation on school safety because uh, this is another thing that we have been kind of beating the drum steadily about is that uh, it, it has to be a shared effort and a shared value to have um, a, a safe climate, you know, that everybody is engaged, everybody's part of it, everybody feels welcome and safe and protected, feels that they're on a loving level playing field when they set foot on, on campus and, and into the building each day. So culture and climate as uh, foundational elements of school safety are really begin it's beginning to take hold, you know, people are really starting to recognize that, um, we have to begin there. You know, we have to begin as a community, as a team, willing to, um, to, to have hard conversations, to ask tough questions, and, um, and really continue to engage students and parents and all participants in the, in the community. How do you feel? Do you feel safe here? Um, do you have concerns? I want to know. I want to hear about those concerns. I also want to hear about your ideas. We need to have that level of um, engagement in our community. So it's very exciting to see that that's a value um, and that continues to be one of our strongest recommendations each year after this report. So speaking of recommendations in wrapping things up, what one or two, one or two steps would you like to see school leaders do to help ensure that the kids can be a part of a school that is safe and secure? So I think we must 
we really must focus on building student confidence and engagement. Um, they are the, you know, they are the end user here. They are the reason for all of this work. Our students, um, we we want our students to um, to be to be safe, and uh, unless we are engaging them and asking them about what that means to them and what that feels like and looks like and what concerns they have um, and what ideas they have, it's really difficult to communicate that you know that we care that we are doing this work that you are our priority. So I think building that that confidence uh, through education and awareness. Uh, through empowerment and engagement is um, is a is a key um, probably the the number one thing I could say that that our schools and communities could be focusing on it comes to comes down to the students Let, let's put them first let's hear what they have to say any final thoughts here with the information that we have and we're excited because it's back to school if you don't know it's back to school just turn on your TV listen to the radio listen to anything or go into any store because the signs are everywhere so it's exciting. Parents are excited to get the kids back to school. I think some kids are excited. Some aren't not. They're thinking their least favorite classes. But all in all, we want just to make sure that the reason that we're here to make things are as safe and secure as possible. So with that said, any final thoughts, maybe even with in mind your journey and your struggle with what you've had to deal with and the emotion that is so deeply rooted, not even people that are directly affected by these tragedies, but all of us. With that in mind, what can we all do to help make an impact in a positive way with regard to what we're talking about here today? Yeah, my greatest wish for this school year is that we take care of ourselves, you know, that we really look at everybody in the building, in the community as part of our family. And, uh, and we prioritize the well-being, the mental health, uh, the level of confidence and engagement in our communities. Um, I, of course, am an educator by trade, so that's my end goal. You know, I want to see kids um, receive the education they need to be successful. But uh, I knew even, you know, as, as a little elementary school teacher that it, that comes down to feeling safe and welcome and um, and that when there is something going on in my life or a struggle, uh, if I need some support, that I can reach out and I can ask for that. And, and the people around me will help me find that. Um, prioritizing mental health and wellness and, and yes, self-care. Um, our kids are watching us. Uh, we're watching each other, you know. So when, when we do a good job taking care of each other, uh, we take care of ourselves and we take care of the school community. Everybody can be safe and sound. Beautifully said. Michelle Gay, co-founder and executive director, Safe and Sound Schools. And if you would like more information with regard to what we're talking about today and the published findings of this survey, safeandsoundschools.org. And not only that, a lot of information with regard to what we all can do to help make sure our schools are more safe and more secure, and we can really ensure uh, to the best of our ability that we give them that safe environment. Whether or not they like math or calculus or, or other things is, is completely out the window. But uh, thank you so much, Michelle, for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Michelle. And thank you for being a part of School Safety Today and listening in. This is School Safety Today, powered by Raptor Technologies. I am your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney, and we will see you soon.